Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married Who spinoff podcast in which me, Jake, my brother Alex, watch Classic Who in whatever in whatever order we choose. We're currently going through all of the companions, watching their first and final stories. Uh, this week we're doing our podcast on Polly, sometimes known as Polly Wright. And because we've already seen her first episode, The War Machines, we're watching The Moon Base and The Faceless Ones, her and Ben's final story. We'll get more into why that was a bad idea later. <laughs> uh, these podcasts, if you're new to them, these companion podcasts we're doing, uh, we're not going to like super deep dive into the companions. We're really just using these as an excuse to watch some classic stories we maybe otherwise wouldn't have watched. So we're going to go through each story, Moonbase first, then the Faceless Ones, then we're going to have a chat about Polly. But let's get started. Alex. Yo. First on our docket is The Moonbase, written by Kit Pedler, directed by Morris Berry, aired February 11th through March 4th, 1967. As always, I ask you to guess in the Doctor Who 50th anniversary poll, Doctor Who magazine 50th anniversary poll. Out of 156 stories, where do you think this fell? Just the classic stories. Like, low. Very low. <laughs> I don't think it was very uh, liked. That's, that's what I'm going with. Give me a number. Uh, like, 130 plus. <laughs> or something like that. No, give me a number. Not a range. Pick a number. 142. Close, it was 69. Oh, geez, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, top half. That's you're way off. Why? And I, I y'all think... saw the picture, by the way. <laughs> I was sleeping. <laughs> we, I put, well, this is going to come out months later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I put on our Twitter, Alex sleeping through watching the moon base. Um, yeah, top half, second Cyberman story ever. Only four months. After the first Cyberman story, and they're already back. Of course, at this point, mm. the Dalek movies have come out. It's known that the Daleks are leaving. Yeah. Um, in fact, the next Dalek story is Evil of the Daleks. Next podcast, we're going to be talking about Victoria. That's her first story. Doesn't exist, so we're not going to be watching it. But that was kind of done with the intention of it being the final Dalek story. People say it's really good. Mm. Or speaking of the Moonbase being number 69 out of 156, if you include New Who, it's number 113 out of 241. So maintains its status in the top half. Wow. So I would not have guessed that. Why do people like it so much? Well, that leads me to my next question. What would you think of the Moonbase? It was fine. Like, it just wasn't engaging. Like, there was stuff going on, but it, to me, it didn't just, like, grab me and pull me into the story. Like so many other <laughs> stories do it was it was more of just like 
It wasn't like watching golf, but it had like the same effect. <laughs> well, I like watching golf. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to align more with the fans here. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. It's four episodes. It moves a good clip. Um, Base Under Siege kind of becomes the second Doctor's era, uh, the MO of it. And there's really nothing bad to say about this one. If it were six episodes instead of four, I think it could have gotten really sloggy really fast. But I think that Mm. was the right amount of time. Um, I really like the guest cast, particularly like the lead dude. The commander of the station? Yeah, Hobson, played by Patrick Barr. Spoiler for MVP of this story is, for me, is him, too, because he he was very good. That's why he's the only person's name I wrote down, (laughs) is because he's mine as well. (laughs) So we don't have to do that anymore. Second Cyberman story takes place on the moon, which is fun. Um, So you get to have a whole bunch of humans. Uh, It's, I believe, is it ever said where these Cybermen are from in the story? No, uh, they just mentioned that, uh, well, it was Ben and Polly were like, weren't all the Mondasian Cybermen's, Cybermen's, <laughs> Cybermen uh, destroyed? And then it was also mentioned by the Moonbase staff, they're like, everyone knows that all the Cybermen were destroyed. So I don't know specifically where these ones are from, if they're even Mondasian, because they, they also have like different uh, suits. Like, they just look different. Yeah. I'm just wondering if they're um, Talosian Cybermen or if that is kind of a fan recon kind of thing. I think it is. Um, Was that in, like, an audio drama or something? No, I think it's just the fans decided, oh, if you say this or this, then it fits into the canon. So the fans just kind of make up their own thing. Oh. Um, You said they're redesigned. So the... Cybermen were designed by costume designer Sandra Reed. So the success of the Cybermen, just like we were talked about Raymond Cusick and the success of the Daleks, how important he was, the success of the Cybermen are just as credited to her as Kit Peddler as they should be. She was super embarrassed by the first Cybermen story. Like she admits to like not giving a shit about sci-fi, being like, this is dumb and just not <laughs> even trying. And then felt super guilty with like how big they got and people really liked how they looked. And she's like, really? They look terrible. (laughs) So in this one, she like properly tried. (laughs) She took the, the junk fan away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, to which he means a fan that covered their junk. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, they look a little sleeker, a little more metal, but I, the, I don't mean like rock and roll. I mean like made of metal. They got the penguin hands, like the three prong hand. Oh, I didn't even notice that. It it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> like when they're turning dials and stuff, it just looked weird. It's another story where the entire thing does not exist in its original form. So two of the episodes are animated. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was animation, live action, animation, live action. So it was a really good like back and forth, I thought, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and you and I talked about this off air. Like I've struggled with the animations kind of in general, but and this will go for the faceless ones as well. When there's a live action 
episode in the mix, it forces the hand of the animators to make it look like the episode does. Yeah. So we talked about the Macro Terror a few episodes ago. Because there's no episodes existing, they just went hog fucking wild. Like animated this giant base and these, you know, huge, cool looking macro when we know that's not what they look like on the show. Yeah. And so it's kind of hard to engage with it when I'm watching it just thinking, I just want to know what this looked like when it aired in 1966. So for these two stories we're talking about today, they and on the DVDs, there's uh, interviews with the animators and they talk about their process. Not only do they have the actors and they can see them and they can kind of stencil them and put their put their movements into a computer so they can like generate the animation to look like it was actually how they actually talked and moved and stuff. Nice. So besides just that, the whole thing just looks like it's supposed to look. So in the first episode, when you see the titular moon base and it's kind of a cool room, like that big main room. Yeah. In the second one, when you see it for real, it's like, oh man, this is actually a really cool set design. Yeah. And with the big laser thing that yeah. pivots in the middle. Yeah. That was cool. And I'm sure if, the animators had a couple of pictures, but were like, it's a base on the moon. We need these three elements to be in it. Otherwise, go nuts. It would look way different. Yeah. Some other things to talk about before we really just kind of get into it. It's Jamie's first proper story after they picked him up in the Highlanders. And Kit Pedler, the writer, super pissed that they just decided to hire this other dude because the story is already written. Oh, and so, so they so just put his, him on a bed. His plan: bonk him on the head, get get him in bed for most of the story. It's fine. Yeah, and uh, in the special features on the DVD, Fraser Hines says like it was the best shoot ever because he just laid in bed. Like, <laughs> and it was like his first proper story, so he's kind of nervous. And it's like, oh, I get to spend two weeks just laying in bed while people act around me. And then he says the Macrotera, the next one, is like the first time he actually got to do anything and kind of get comfortable with the character. But we'll get more into Jamie in three podcasts time. Back to the moon base. Give me some stuff. Give me some reasons. Um, well, I think part of the reason why I didn't fully enjoy it is because it was it was just like I like slow burns, but this one was like the longest burn ever to even like really get into like you see the Cybermen at the end of the first episode. Yeah. But then you don't see him again until the end of the second one. And then they're like <laughs> part of the story. And it was, I don't know that that seemed a little bit too long. And then when they did get into the story, I couldn't understand a fucking word they were saying. Nope. Could not understand them at all. <laughs> I, like I was inferring from what other people were saying. It's like, <laughs> yep. Oh, they must've said this because that was the reply. Yeah. I get changing the design, but like why change the voice? The voice yeah, was fine. The voice was great. <laughs> and now this one is just like, I, I don't know what they're saying. So I don't know. That that kind of pulled me out. Um, but to what you were saying, I really did like uh, how they um, they pulled the animation together. Because there were even a couple scenes, you know, like at the end of an episode, 
on the beginning of the next episode, they like play the 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 same yeah. couple seconds or whatever. And when they animated it, they animated exactly what was there, like mm-hmm. them walking, close ups of the boots on in the in the sand or uh, moon sand, <laughs> and like you could see like the, the dust like flying up in the air, and like they had the same formation and doing the same things with yeah. their arms and stuff. Like the the attention to detail is really cool in this one. Well, and that's an example of them kind of being forced. And in certain um, scenes like that, they are literally like stenciling over the live action and then putting it through a computer. I mean, they have like a lead animator who is drawing everything. Mm -hmm. And it it is kind of an interesting documentary on the DVD because there's there's like no talk about the original production. It's all just the animation and what they had to do. Yeah. It is interesting to a point, but it's it's a little long. I definitely fast forwarded through the second half. But there's there's some cool stuff about how they do that animation. And, and it's essentially like 12 people get five months and they have to do this. Wow. Speaking of that, I was super excited that we got to see at the very end, like the intro into the Macro Terror that they put on the beginning of the Macro, macro Terror, but it's am- animated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't talk. Yeah, so it's animated at the beginning of the Macro Terror, ever like the TARDIS team in the TARDIS, and the Doctor being like, "Oh, well, let's just turn on this future TV I have <laughs> to see what's happening next week." Yeah, and there's the claw, yeah, which like is fine in animation, but it's you know you can see see what they were kind of working with. Yeah, yeah, and then again on that Macro Terror DVD, there is like one minute of surviving shots that they have. But every shot is like two seconds long and they just kind of put them together in a minute, minute long montage. And there is one little shot of Polly being in the claw and it's like, God, I just want to see what it actually looked like. Yeah. Maybe one day they'll find it. So you're talking about the pacing. The Like, I don't think that's unique that we don't see the bad guy until the end of the first and then don't see him again until the end of the second. I think that's pretty typical Hmm. of doctor who, especially in cases like this, where we have a pretty big cast and we need to, the, or we need to find an excuse or at least like an acceptance of the doctor and his team being there. And that always takes like a whole episode because why are they there? Yeah. (laughs) They're just on the moon. And it wasn't even until the last episode that the, the main commander guy's like, all right, you guys stalled long enough. You're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's always like the, well, what if you just gave us like 24 hours? And he's like, fine. Just like, stop talking to me. I'm so busy. <laughs> well, then like they even at the beginning. When the doctor and his team are bouncing along the moon, which again, I would love to see what that looked yeah, like. I did write that down in, like, in the original. What would that have been? The moon based team is even saying like, oh, Earth is sending up a doctor (laughs) and then it's like oh so that's how they're gonna explain the doctor showing up he's gonna be there and be like hello i'm the doctor they're like oh great we've been waiting for you case closed happens in half the episodes of doctor who but instead he shows up and he's like oh hello i'm the doctor and then someone in the background's like oh and then the leader just goes no no no, it's not that doctor (laughs) this guy's (laughs) different and everyone's like oh fuck who's this guy (laughs) so they introduce this like reason for the doctor to be accepted when he shows up and then just completely stamp it out. Like, no, 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 that would never actually happen. He'd have to have 
credentials, he would have shown up in a spaceship. <laughs> like they would have seen it. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what the thing is like, did that ship already land? Like, nope, it's on its way still. <laughs> like, well, then you can't be it. <laughs> but we are introduced to their problem, which is that all these dudes have gotten sick. Yeah. Again, the moon base completely populated by white men. Mm hmm. Uh, I did listen to the episode of Flight Through Entirety where they talked about this episode. And this whole era of Doctor Who, this and the next season, Ennis Lloyd is the producer. And they they do bring up a lot that if viewed through certain lenses, it could seem like Ennis Lloyd and his team are super racist. Like there's no black people in the future. And the couple of times that there are, they're always deaf or mute or just dumb oh not good <laughs> one reason that they give is that during this time in television particularly american television it was the goal of people making tv to sell it to syndication in america syndication means you can just put on any episode in any order it doesn't matter they're all the same and so, so like that's why we have a lot of cop shows, a lot of detective and court dramas. It's because they all follow the same pattern. We don't really learn anything about the characters themselves, like their personal lives. So there's no, there's no like huge overarching story. And so, this era of Doctor Who, the Second Doctor's era, is kind of referred to as like the base under siege era. And right now we're on season four. Season five is referred to by fans as like the monster era or the monster season. Because it's like there's two Cybermen stories, Ice Warriors, um, Great Intelligence, or like the, uh, what do they use? The Abominable Snowmen. They're just all robots is essentially what it is. And the reasoning for that is because Ennis Lloyd was trying to sell Doctor Who to America for syndication. And what this other podcast, Flight Through Entirety, posits is that Ennis Lloyd didn't want to offend the sensibilities of Southern, the Southern United States <laughs> by having any black people in the show at oh, all. Oh man. So that's on record of him saying that. No. Oh, this is what they say on their podcast, but they say it often. Mm. And I really like their podcast and I listen to it a lot. So these things get into my head as well. So yeah, a bunch of sick white dudes. Um, everyone's just got to be super jazzed that Polly's there. Yeah. Were there any females there? No, it was just all male. Yeah. Ugh. Jamie gets knocked out. Yeah. Did he trip? Like, he, how did he get knocked out? Cause he, when they were, I think he just fucked up when he was bouncing on the moon. Yeah. And yeah. then he fell like in front of the thing or hit his yeah. head on the, yeah. And so he's taken to the sick bay. Because of him being sick, the doctor and his friends are kind of allowed to stay for a while. And the the doctor kind of is like offering to try to solve the sickness. And at the very end, Polly sees a Cyberman just walk by a door, an open doorway. And I totally forgot up until that point, Ben and Polly have seen the Cyberman before. So they totally know what's going on. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't realize that this was after them seeing the Cyberman because once she said it was a Cyberman, and I was like, "Is she saying Cyberman, or is it like a cyber-like man?" <laughs> well, then the second episode starts, and they're like, "What'd you see?" She's like, "I don't know." <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I, weird. I did like the reveal on that Cyberman, though, where uh, it didn't like 
directly show the Cyberman. It was just like a shadow or you would see like a part of the helmet. Like just that kind of stuff was really cool. Yeah. So I thought that they were like maybe created like an underground lair that they were working in or doing whatever they were doing. I just came from a spaceship. But then (laughs) the reveal at the end of episode three or is it two? It's like, oh, they're just the other people under these blankets. Like they already took all these people. Oh, that was that was the second one. No, that was the third one because that was uh, live action in that reveal. I can't so remember. end of the third one? No, hold on. It was animated live action. So <laughs> end of the second one. Um and then what did what did the Cybermen want? Uh they Because we're not we're not to the point yet where they just want to convert everybody. No, they wanted to destroy everyone on the earth because earthlings are dangerous to them. Like they said like they're like we understand why you would want vengeance is like vengeance is not part of our whatever uh we're just dis- or we're getting rid of the dangers he's like but you'll destroy the earth he's like exactly like <laughs> at- <laughs> all right that's that's what i was kind of gathering from their v- weird voice <laughs> yeah also impossible to understand what yeah. the cyber to say yeah i didn't watch i just realized now as we're talking about it while watching didn't know what the cybermen wanted didn't give a shit (laughs) perfectly happy to just watch them kill everybody they're just there but yeah they didn't really go into where they're from unless they did and i didn't understand it (laughs) and then you know it's kind of like the general doctor who runaround there's essentially three rooms Mm -hmm. and we just kind of walk to one and then walk to the other and then there's some cybermen outside but as opposed to some other ones that I find really boring that are like that, I was just kind of engaged by this and perfectly happy to sit through it. I will say I did enjoy the the base crew as well because it, it uh, yep. like they had like a French guy there, and and they had um, didn't they have like a German guy as well? And it it just seemed like it seemed like a base that could control the the Earth's weather should oh yeah not be a single forgot about that country seat is that this moon base has a gravitron yeah, yeah so it is so they use gravity to hold hurricanes in place well there's there's some logic to that that's insane but they use it to control the earth's weather which uh it seems like they're really bad at doing <laughs> yeah like super bad and then if that ever shuts off or dies or something them doing this like if it, if they all of a sudden stop like the natural progression of weather would just destroy everything and so i guess thinking about it now does that mean because they're in like the far future right what did they say what century this was uh i'll look but it's you know relative to the 10th planet which is like 1983 <laughs> or whatever it was <laughs> Well, I was wondering if if it was 2070. Okay. So, are they So I wonder if they're saying that you know, the weather got so unpredictable because of potentially global warming and stuff like yeah. that that they had to like start controlling it and yeah. then if they don't, then they're just going to die. Well, then also that's kind of the part of the Cyberman plan that we didn't mention is they're going to take over the Gravitron and just destroy the Earth with yeah. crazy weather. Which cool. I guess there's only 11 of you. <laughs> this might as well be the way you do it. Yeah. Well, there's so many times when the uh, Hobson, the leader, would be like, 
oh, we're off five degrees and Earth would be like, oh, if you're off five degrees, that means this hurricane's going to destroy, you know, whatever place they say. But they don't seem like that upset. Like, this is pretty typical <laughs> about how good they are yeah. controlling this thing. It was weird. I think just kind of the last thing to mention is our TARDIS team. What did you think of the Doctor in this one? Uh, I thought he was fun. Uh, the way he had to interact with the commander dude and go get, uh, like, uh, samples to try and figure out, like, him actually being a scientist to try and figure out what's going on was really cool, I thought. Um, but it, it did take just a long time. Like, it wasn't the normal, like, I know what this is type thing. Like, it took him a while. Yeah, anytime the doctor has to actually do any science on the show, I'm down for I can't remember if it was this director or the one for Faceless Ones that Patrick Trouton just didn't get along with. Mm. Because it was at this point that they were really focused on like reining Patrick Trouton in and trying to make him more serious and less goofy. And he just wasn't like super excited about that. <laughs> mm. You know, he wanted his giant stovepipe hat and Yeah. But anyway, um, Patrick Trouton also almost quit after this episode because he was, before they started shooting, he was on the set kind of looking at everything, seeing where he's supposed to stand, all this. And he went and stand in, stood in a spot, was looking at the Gravitron, and then took like one step away, and this huge heavy piece of the Gravitron like fell right where he used to be standing. Oh, wow. And like would have crushed him. And he was like, fuck this. <laughs> I am out. Jeez. He, he was really upset. That's that's kind of scary. Uh, what you think of Ben? Can't, uh, can't remember him doing a whole lot. Yeah, he... What did he do? Uh, I have notes for Ben in the third episode. <laughs> ben and Polly coming up with the spray bottle thing, which is mainly just Polly. That's all I have for Ben. <laughs> Like he didn't do much, so B minus. Yeah, Ben doesn't do shit. We're gonna talk about Polly anyway. Uh Polly gets two two ends of the spectrum in events that she gets to perform in this one. For the second straight Cyberman episode, two for two, she gets to make coffee for a bunch of dudes <laughs> on a base. As a distraction. But yeah, she comes up with the the plastic destroying solution that she comes up with based on her extensive knowledge of nail polish remover. The only issue I had with that plan is they put it in a plastic spray bottle. <laughs> so it only affects Cybermen plastic. You don't know they were plastic spray bottles. <laughs> they were animated. It was animated, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I also, I also love how Ben was like, and you see here, if you squeeze the thing, it'll spray. Oh, he totally had to mansplain <laughs> yeah. spray bottles to her. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> is our spray bottles not a thing at this time like what <laughs> well they had them in the show yeah <laughs> so like <they> were... <laughs> what <laughs> yeah i mean if you need to say it so the kids get it say it to jamie he's from the 1700s or whatever <laughs> yeah. and when jamie first wakes up and they're discussing how to kill a cyberman his uh solution is holy water <laughs> and that's kind of what gives Polly the idea. Oh, yeah. Because what do you say they were? Like demons or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of about it. Other than 
just kind of perpetuating dialogue between the doctor and the other the other moon base crew the companions don't really do a ton in the story there's three of them <laughs> so it's yeah the little bit that they do get to do has to be spread among all of them there was way more action with the moon base crew and the doctor specifically in this one like yeah it just wasn't a companion that's enough of or do you have anything else you want to say about moon base nope we both pick hobson as our mvp yep all right moving on moving on to the faceless ones written by david ellis and malcolm hulk malcolm hulk will be a name you hear over and over again as we get into the 70s directed by gary mill or jerry mill looks like jerry with a g Aired April 8th through May 13th, 1967. Alex, where in the Doctor Who Magazine poll of 156 classic stories did the Faceless Ones fall? Uh, I'm going to go like 73. So just a little below yeah. Moon Base. Uh, 89. Not oh, too far. All right. Uh, bottom half, but top of the bottom half <laughs> if you include new who uh falls or it's remains kind of in that same position 142 out of 241 what'd you think of this story it didn't need to be six parts i don't think <laughs> but the story was neat i i really like the the aliens in this one yeah um yeah it it, it was it was a jam yeah How about you the way I felt about it was this would have been like a perfect made for TV, like spy drama, like cut it down to 90 minutes, get rid of the aliens, make it about a corporation that's stealing kids. I believe you call that kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and this would be like, you know, they do like those, um, in the 80s, like those Perry Mason made-for-TV movies, or in the 70s, like the an episode of Kojak or something like that. This this would totally work as one of those, or could have been, you know, with even more money, a proper 70s uh, spy film. Yeah. I mean, or detective film. But that's all to say, yeah, I like this one a lot. Um, it's a little unfortunate that we chose this for our Polly episode as she's in the first two episodes and that's it. Yeah. And then the very end. Yeah. And apparently they shot that ahead of time. So they didn't even have to show up for that. So we picked, so for Polly, which there's not a ton to talk about Polly anyway, we get an episode where she doesn't really do much other than create the solution that kind of saves their asses. Yeah. But apart like that's a two minute scene. And then one where she's not in it. So, good job, us. We did it. That being said, the Doctor and the Jamie were awesome in this one. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie was killing it. He was just taking direction and doing his duty, like, or just, like, hiding from the police and surveying that kiosk. <laughs> well, doing his duty until a pretty girl yeah. flashes her eyes at him. <laughs> to which he's then like, you know what? You're right. I am going to go into space <laughs> and save the day. Uh, Jamie's yeah, the best. He is great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll go through a little bit. Starts with a fun kind of two episode mystery before anything really gets going. 
I love the TARDIS lands on a runway mm-hmm. at a airport. And uh, <laughs> I love when they come out. So on the DVD, you can have the option of watching it all animated in black and white or in color or to mix in episodes one and three, which are the two live action. What did you do? Oh, I must have missed that on the DVD then. I did just the all animated. Oh, really? Yeah. That's too bad. Um, but anyway, so I watched this or I watched this live action and animated to see if they were the same, but just when they step out of the TARDIS, all four of them, and they see a police officer who's like, Hey, what the fuck? And the doctor <laughs> yeah. just goes, scatter <laughs> and yep. they all start running <laughs> like just go talk to the police officer and be like oh hey we're lost yeah <laughs> can you help us suppose they needed a reason to like go hide in that <laughs> in an hangar. airplane hangar yeah yeah so ben makes his way to the world's or no polly makes her way to who goes there first polly was there and saw the murder okay polly makes her way to the world's smallest airplane hangar and sees one guy dressed like a pilot kill another guy who's dressed like a pilot with a ray gun yeah a ray gun with no ray (laughs) so just a gun and that essentially kicks off this two episode kind of mini story of introducing the bad guys and what like they're communicating with each other and doing something to people but we don't really see what it is until the end of episode two when we see them take a faceless one into like the med bay and turn him into a person. But even that was still just the first part of it. Like we f- slowly find out that people are going missing that are going on these yeah, yeah. flights. So then you're like, well, then what the fuck are they doing with them? Well, we find that out <laughs> after episode two. Once we introduce the, the people. Yeah. Oh, so we don't find out their m- people are missing until we introduce Jamie's love interest in like episode uh, four. Pauline. That was like four, right? I think so. So like these these first two stories, it's a lot of like we're trying to find Ben and Polly. And so they Jamie and the doctor go to the airport and just try to talk to somebody who's in charge because they do for a brief moment meet up with Polly and Polly tells them what happened. Yeah. They go to the airplane hangar, see this dead guy, and they're like, We need to go tell somebody. Yeah. And as they're walking out, Polly just gets grabbed and Jamie and the doctor don't notice yeah because they're the most oblivious dudes and then ben's just running around who knows once they do find someone in charge they're essentially detained because they're not supposed to be where they are in the airport yeah they don't have papers they don't have passports they don't have anything right and so it's those first two stories are all about just kind of everyone be placed in their position to begin the story properly and unfortunately for us here to talk about Polly, Ben and Polly's position in the story is not in the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is removed from the story. So I, I heard that um, their contracts, because we we saw with Dodo, like her contract expired in the middle of a story. So they just shipped her off to the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, their contract did not expire until the end of Evil of the Daleks, the next story. So they oh, could have been in it, done. but I think the producers were reacting to to a thought that the TARDIS was too full and that it was getting too hard to write stories for three companions. 
which they are the ones that did yeah. by because Jamie wasn't written to be in the story. They just liked him and they're like, oh, hey, you want to be in it? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> who would say no to that? Right. Well, I'll tell you who would say no to it. Uh, his girlfriend in this, Samantha Briggs playing Pauline Collins. It's kind of written where you would think like, why wouldn't they bring her with? Yeah, she could be the next be the... girl. Yeah. Like there's a you know, boy and a girl is kind of how we've been doing this for little little four or five thing. years or three four years whatever it's been but she denied it they offered she said no so they they offered after they shot yeah so this story was kind of like a test no it's just a character written into a story oh and then they're like oh this character could be the next companion and we like her and so they offered it to her much like they offered to fraser hines and she just declined okay She's got other shit to do, I guess. Well, she went on to a fantastic career. She's um, one of very few Oscar-nominated actors to ever be in Doctor Who, particularly Classic Who. Nice. Um, let's see. She would be in Doctor Who again as Queen Victoria in your favorite story, Tooth and Claw. That's oh. the same girl, but a hundred years younger. Wow. <laughs> I wish I could have seen, like, I should try and watch the live action. of, of Like, is she in any of the live action episodes? Yes. She was nominated for an Oscar in 1989 for the film version of her one-woman play, Shirley Valentine. So that's cool. Nice. Um, so in the essentially final four episodes, or the second half, is, you know, the Doctor and Jamie trying to convince this guy who runs the airport, who I guess lives in the air traffic control tower. Is that where the head of the airport lives? Oh, the com commandant. Commandant. Yeah. Um, he is very reluctant to believe anything they say because why wouldn't you be? Yeah. And then just this um magic wise man shows up and is like, "Don't worry, I'll believe you, and everyone will listen to me." <laughs> oh, the the uh, detective guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, he's like, you know, the guy writing this. Um, so I don't know if it was David Ellis or Malcolm Hulk. Just like, we need a way for this guy to just believe the doctor and let him get him, get along or get on with his uh, investigation. I can't figure it out. So I'm just going to have a high ranking cop show up and be like, well, I believe you. And yeah. everyone has to do what I say. <laughs> and then there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, and some things I would really like to see the original broadcast version of. Going up on this spaceship, the airplane flying into space. Yeah, that was a really cool um, moment when the commandant was explaining to the doctor, like, when that blip stops moving, that means a plane's falling. Right. And the doctor's like, well, what if it's going straight up, man? Yeah, because the doctor knows the whole time yeah. everything that's going on. Yeah. The thought of just a plane going straight up and then transforming into a spaceship and going into suborbital flight is just neat. That's, right. That's just cool. Yeah, stuff like that. There is a fun scene of like the doctor being frozen out in that room where they like start pumping in all this cold. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he like throws his jacket over the camera. There is like they have that in live action. Um, totally dupes that guy. <laughs> totally. On the DVD, they do like in Macro Terror have like a one minute clip of surviving footage. But all it is is B footage of airplanes flying. 
<laughs> and in a different part of the DVD, they have this thing where it's like, oh, here's B footage we got from this other company of airplanes flying. And it's all the same shots. So it's like, that's not surviving. <laughs> that's available to everybody. Yeah, that's that's funny. The aliens were cool. Yeah. Like, they looked almost zombie-esque, and then they had, like, these crazy shirts on. These crazy shirts They on. just looked cool, man. I don't know how to describe it. They were cool. I mean, yeah. it's not an idea we haven't seen before, in especially in Doctor Who. Uh, an alien race that had some horrible thing happen to them, so they're searching for bodies. And Was that their whole plan, is to just yeah. take Earth as their new planet by assimilating as earthlings well i think their plan was to take like forty thousand kids and leave with them it wasn't everyone and then we're going to take over the earth to take them back to their home planet to give bodies to the people that were there why do they need bodies because of a is it an atmospheric thing no they said what it's called and it's so dumb it's like a space event or something like that. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure that they didn't intend on grabbing more. But they do say, like, this was this our last trip. Like, we're done. Yeah. And it's only because the doctor shows up. But, yeah, I mean, it's another thing of, like, the aliens aren't, like, super evil. I mean, they're pretty evil. But they're also just trying to survive. And right. so the doctor... And they also see Earth, like earthlings as less than cattle so <laughs> yeah they're like they're, they're like oh their intelligence can't even comprehend like they're just like they're just cattle like yeah and the one the one guy who eventually ends up turning on the main boss says repeatedly when he's down on earth like oh these humans are too dumb to understand our plan like yeah. we can do whatever we want they won't be able to comprehend yeah. no one will believe them right yeah which is funny because it's true when the doctor's explaining what's going on to the commandant and the rest of the people. They're like, well, that's not possible because he's saying like they live in space and they have a spaceship 700 miles up. Yeah. And like, well, that's not possible. So, yes, in a way, it is hard for these humans to accept that. But if you just say these guys are evil and they're stealing kids, we have to stop them. They'll understand that. Like, yeah. they can still come stop you. There's still only, like, three of you. Right. Yeah. But I do like the idea of just, like, you know, we see um, that that dude who works in the air traffic control tower, um, the nurse woman, and Polly. Like, we get to see the end result of this process of just, like, them being placed around the airport. Mm -hmm. as the human versions of themselves to you know make it easier for them to move around the airport yeah keep keeping the the thing rolling and so so we see that like they keep memories of the people whose bodies they've taken but they're completely different like we even when uh jamie gets taken he loses his accent yeah so that's yeah. cool fraser hines doesn't have a scottish accent so it's all <laughs> put oh, that's on just him talking i think so hmm. so yeah i like the plan i like the aliens i like the everybody in the airport it feels like a proper airport um there's a really shitty airport story in the 80s with the fifth doctor that 
is like somehow even worse looking than this is for like <laughs> the indoor scenes of the airport. Anything else? I think thumbs up for me. How do you feel? Yeah. Yeah. This one was good. I'd watch it. Yeah. I'm happy to have seen it. It came out just last year, so I hadn't watched it yet, even though I owned it and was super stoked to get to do that. You have an MVP? I I think I'd give it to like the leader of the aliens, like the head captain guy. Yeah, he was cool. He was he was cool. Um like all of his scenes, he was just like a really good bad guy and then at the end is like a like kind of revealed that he wasn't like bad or just like you said trying to survive. So, yeah. He he it was a good actor. Was it Spencer? Because it wasn't policeman. <laughs> he wasn't the commandant. He wasn't Inspector Gascon. Meadows was the dude. Somehow Meadows gets a higher billing. Meadows was the guy who's like taken over and works in the air traffic control tower. Oh. Uh, hmm. Gene Rock, that's the. Oh, we didn't even talk about her. Like the commandant's assistant. Oh, yeah. She she's like the doctor. She's like in with the doctor right away. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, whatever you guys need. I'll just fake an illness yeah. or whatever. She's great. Um, so, yeah, it's either Sp- Spencer, Victor Winding, which I think it is, or Jenkins, Christopher Tranchell. Um, I'm going with uh, Fraser Hines. This was his time oh, to shine. Yeah. Got himself a couple sneaky smooches. <laughs> yeah. Got jumped on an airplane and managed to not get shrunk and flew up into space. Got to use his regular accent. <laughs> good. All, all good things for Jamie. Yeah. Jamie was turning up. Okay. You know, for a six-parter, those are usually pretty tough just because of the pacing. But I really enjoyed this one. And I was in the whole time. You know, I watched the first three episodes maybe like 10 days before i went to go finish it and i was like ah i I really should watch those first three again and i did i sat and watched all six in one sitting it was great nice it is now time for the reason we're here to talk about polly some people call her polly Wright. i don't think it's ever said in the show what her last name is the TARDIS wiki has her last name as Polly Wright, but I've also heard that that's just kind of like a fan creation. Hmm. So I don't know. It's the same last name as Barbara, so it'd be weird. She's from essentially the same time as Barbara, so I don't know. She can't be like her daughter or granddaughter or something. Yeah. Uh, so Polly slash Polly Wright, played by Annika Wills. She's a proper swinging 60s young person. She's got the winged eyeliner, the smoky eyes. She's as mod as it gets. What do you think of Polly? I think she's cool. Um, she kind of gets, I don't know, some of the dumb work. <laughs> like she's not, I think the most we saw her like be effective to the story is when she made that solution to, to defeat the Cyberman. But she's cool to have around. She's fun. Yeah, it's tough because this era, particularly this season, there's only one story that exists in its entirety. 
and it's just there's just not enough of this this season that they're in to really talk about Ben and Polly in any educated way. Yeah. I mean, we could go through the audios or the recon, the recons of the missing stories, but I'm not going to do that. They'll be they'll come out eventually in animated form and we'll get to watch them in some way. She's the first companion we have that is a younger adult. Like we have Barbara, who you could say was 30, 35, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just going off watching the show. I don't know how old um, Jacqueline Hill actually was. doesn't really matter. It's kind of more a feel. And then after her, he just had a bunch of literal children, teenagers. Yep. But Polly is supposed to be an adult, like early 20s, financially independent. You know, the whole point of the mod culture. And she's supposed to look good. She definitely did. (laughs) Tick, tick, tick. (laughs) Um, I think as ever you get kind of more of in these 60s companions, we see often that they aren't given really a character Bible of like, this is what this character is. Like Dodo literally didn't have a single conversation. The woman who played Dodo (laughs) didn't have a single conversation with a producer about the character of Dodo. She just showed up on day one and started rehearsing. Hmm. And then they heard her doing a Cockney accent and said, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. it. Um, So the only real way to kind of get what the character of Polly is supposed to be or what they're going for is to go to the woman herself, Annika Wills. And so I watched her Mythmakers interview. And it's interesting because she's like the hippiest, dippiest, flightiest chick. Like she doesn't remember <laughs> shit about Doctor Who. Oh man. Uh she was they refer to her in this interview, which is in 1993. She's at like her first convention. And or maybe maybe second, but uh, they refer to her as like the companion that got away because she was just gone. So like she acted in like one more thing after Doctor Who, and then just fucking bounced. She like moved to India, was married for a while, lived there for seven years, moved to California, and then moved to somewhere else. Wow. And then at the time of this interview, she was living in like Hanover, Canada. Like some island in the middle of fucking nowhere. Jeez. And world traveled. <laughs> but she, it, it's fun. She seems like a super interesting lady, but she's all like, you know, she lived in an ashram in India. She's all like chakras and uh, like whatever. Yeah. But some dude who was like part or was like per, some president of some Doctor Who fan club, like found her. And called her and asked if he could do an interview. And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And she's like, so I talked to this dude on the phone for like 90 minutes. It was great. And then he was like, oh, you know, there's like a, she couldn't fathom why anyone would give a shit about this TV show she did 25 years earlier or whatever it turned out to be. And she was just like super stoked about it and found out about these conventions and ended up going to a few. And, uh, I think, um, when we were talking about Ben, Michael Craze said 
Like they saw each other for the first time in forever at one of these conventions during this interview in 93 was like, well, I've been here for seven years and that seems to be like the cycle of my flights of fancy. So maybe it's time to move on to the next thing, which could be like these Doctor Who conventions. She's like, this seems great. <laughs> but she doesn't remember shit about Doctor Who other than like what boots she wore. Oh, man. <laughs> because she's like a fashionista. She was like into yeah. that stuff. She even says when she got the part, she took the costume designer or the costumer to all of her friends who were like famous designers. Oh, and really? was like, I want that and I want that. <laughs> and BBC's <laughs> flipping the bill. Nice. And that was just kind of her thing. So she's, she remembers more. So <laughs> it's funny when they're talking about the moon base, she. She'd have to remember those suits, like the moon suits. <laughs> I, I don't know, but she totally remembers having to go get coffee, but then does not remember creating the solution <laughs> to like kill the Cyberman. <laughs> she's like, oh, did I? That's great. <laughs> she, she just seems like a cool lady. And. In 1993, when she's like in her early 50s, still smoking hot. And then even now, she's 79, still smoking hot. Nice. And alive. <laughs> Should point out. It's all, it's very good. She's still in Canada or whatever. I don't know. She didn't, she hadn't done a ton of like big finish stuff, but she did do some. And then, uh, also in there, you know, Nicholas Briggs does these Mythmakers interviews. He asks every single person who worked with the first Doctor, like, well, he was kind of a curmudgeon, or he had this reputation, and what was he like with you? And every single person, except for Michael Craze and Annika Wills, were like, never saw it. He was the nicest dude. We were great friends. But Michael Craze and Annika Wills were like, he fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but then they have a different context because they also worked with Patrick Troughton. So yeah. the interviewer gets to ask, you worked with two doctors. What was that like? And they only did two stories with William Hartnell, and he was on his way out. And But they both, and especially Annika Wills, love Patrick Troughton and couldn't say enough nice things about him. She she even says, like, I tried flirting with him. <laughs> like I, She's <laughs> like, I was so in love with him. Like, I use all my feminine wiles, and he did not care. <laughs> <laughs> She's really fun in this interview. If you can find this Mythmakers interview, I recommend it. Then she does briefly talk about her character choices with Polly, which is what I'm trying to find in these interviews. And what she says is she didn't want to be like the typical late 60s sci-fi action show girl. And she specifically mentioned Diana Rigg in The Avengers. Because that was, you know, leather-clad, badass, kicking and punching, and, like, not scared of anything. She's like, I wanted to play her like I would be. Like, if I saw Cyberman on the moon, I'd be terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and I would scream yeah. and yell for, you know, Ben to come save me. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> so she wanted it... So by kind of playing into the Doctor Who stereotype of the Doctor Who girl, she... In her mind, she was playing it realistically and like being a proper character, whereas looking at it in context of the show as a whole, it's kind of just more the same and more the thing that we're trying to get away from. Mm. And it, it's kind of a bummer that 
you know, obviously we haven't seen all of Polly's stuff, but in these episodes, especially these two, she is just kind of like the screamy Doctor Who girl, apart from the one scene where she gets to do something kind of smart. But again, she only knows anything about science because of nail polish. Yeah. That's interesting that uh, that was kind of her her aim. And, you know, if she obviously not a Doctor Who watcher, so maybe she just didn't know what is what was before her how much how much do you think they watch before they start not a fucking second yeah. like i don't think she owned a tv <laughs> wow. i don't think she still doesn't own a tv <laughs> yeah. they do at one point um and like this interview is like in five different locations just like around this island she has like seven wardrobe changes just there oh maybe a couple days they're doing this you know 40 minute interview together and at one point in the beginning, she's like, oh, I've gone back and watched some of these. And so, like, to get ready for this convention, I watched the moon base and I was riveted. It was so engaging. It was such a great story. And then 20 minutes later, they ask her about something. And she's like, it, that happened in the moon base. And she's like, oh, really? I don't know. <laughs> like, just doesn't remember <laughs> it at all. She does also the last kind of part on in that interview that I wrote down. When it comes to their departure, her and Ben's, which I was just talking about, she says that her and Michael Craze remember it differently, but that either one of them could be right and she would believe you. <laughs> she doesn't even <laughs> trust her own memories. This chick had to get so fucking high through the 60s and 70s. I'm wondering if it was like a drug <laughs> thing. like. But yeah. she's also like super happy and just like chill chick. But uh, so she says from her memory, she was asked to come back. And like sign another year contract. And she turned it down because she was just ready to move on. Not just from Doctor Who, but from acting. She was just done and ready to move to India and smoke her way through the, the country. <laughs> I don't I that is all conjecture. We have no idea. Um, but then Michael Craze says that they were just told this is your last story. And they saw the scripts and that they were in the first two episodes. And so she's like we both remember different whatever he could be right i could be right no idea <laughs> so it does kind of make you think what if she was offered to stay on <laughs> and he, he wasn't. wasn't yeah yeah because I, I, I would dare say and she would say the same she does have two autobiographies out um and again that podcast flight through entirety one of the hosts on there has read them and so he has a lot of recollection of stuff from those books I, I looked up one of them on amazon and they've been out of print for 20 years mm. so it was like 200 dollars. Jeez. so that she did at one point remember stuff enough to write a book <laughs> but yeah. um she, so she says the whole point of that was she says in her book that she thinks michael craze is a really good actor and a better actor than she is and so to offer her an extension on her contract and not him is totally the kind of thing that Doctor Who would do, even though he's clearly like a better actor. Yeah, they were trying to, but they they wanted to shore down the team size. Yeah, slim down the size, and then they liked Jamie, obviously. <laughs> well, he signed his contract later, so his contract probably still had, yeah, three more stories on it, or whatever. Hmm. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, there's not a ton to say about the character. 
Uh, we'll be into the 70s soon. We have three more 60s companions to talk about. And we will get to those. There is one last thing we have to do, and that's decide what we're watching for next time. We're talking about the character Victoria, who is the next girl that they pick up in the next story. She's from Victorian era England. I feel like I've seen something with Victoria in it already. You have. Oh, I take it back. You have not. So Victoria was in seven stories. Okay. She begins in the very next story after the Faceless Ones, Evil of the Daleks. Does not exist. Mm. She's then in Tube of the Cybermen, which does. Abominable Snowmen, which does not, but is supposed to be getting an animation this year. The Ice Warriors, which does exist. I think one or more of the episodes have been animated. We have seen that. Have no. we, did we not watch that one? Nope. Uh, Enemy of the World, which is just found in 2013, so we do have that. Web of Fear, which we have all but one episode of, which is supposed to be getting animated in 2013. And Fury from the Deep, which we didn't have any of, but was fully animated in October. Just came out. Ooh. So we're going to watch Fury from the Deep, because we can, and it's her last story. That's our rules, is doing the first and last we can't do her last story, so I went to Twitter to ask what is the most victorious story between Tomb of the Cybermen, the Ice Warriors, Enemy of the World, and Web of Fear. We got a lot of votes, so that was nice, but first and second place were a tie. Oh, shit. Between Tomb of the Cybermen and Enemy of the World, and I watched the first episode of Enemy of the World the other day just for fun. It's so good. Um... But Tomb of the Cybermen is one of those classics that all Doctor Who fans love. Hmm. So I put out another poll saying, okay, just between these two, which one? And I did that before I came over here. I haven't looked at the results yet. Okay. But Chris at this email trash on Twitter did say Tomb of the Cybermen is going to win, but it is not a Victoria episode. Like she's barely <laughs> in it. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> so we're going to end up watching another one that are... Because I'm, I'm pretty sure that one's going to win. Nice. But let's see. Got to keep up appearances over here on the Brothers and Who. Well, we asked, and we will listen. 71% Tomb of the Cybermen. <laughs> All right. And people even just flat out said, like Matt from the Neither Time Nor Space podcast said... Well, we did an episode on Tomb of the Cybermen, so I want to see how yours compares to ours. So I'm picking Tomb of the Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, guys. All right. So Tomb of the Cybermen and then Fury. Fury from the Deep. From the Deep. Okay. So I'm pretty certain Fury from the Deep's not on BritBox. You'll have to watch that on DVD, okay. which I have. DVD. So I'll watch that as soon as I can and get it over to you. Okay. But the other one is. Yeah. Got it down. Song. This has been Brothers in Who, our episode on Polly. Uh, you should listen to our main podcast, Married to Who, where we have just begun the Jodie Whittaker era. We watched the first two episodes, or by the time this comes out, we might be done with all of them. I don't fucking know. Um, half myself, Jake, my brother Alex. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time for Tomb of the Cybermen and Fury from the Deep as we talk about Victoria. Beauty, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
do 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 do